0: You are listening to Vital Conversations as we explore what discipleship can look like in these changing times and into the future. All clergy and lady are invited to join. You can find registration information at mtnskyumc.org. Now let's get into it. Welcome back, friends, to Vital Conversations, a series where we are talking not just about vitality in the local church, but also about some uh, COVID-19 and post-COVID-19 realities that we're in and trying to walk through. It's a great privilege today that I get to introduce to you one of Mountain Sky's own uh, pastors, Reverend Dr. Robert Kaler, who is the lead pastor at Tri-Lakes United Methodist Church in Monument, Colorado. And he is also the author of Your Best Move, uh, which we're gonna be talking about transitions today. So if you're listening to this, Um, hopefully it's one not just a great resource for you, but particularly if you are transitioning uh, into another local church or ministry setting, we're going to be talking about some things that I think will be helpful for you. But even if you're not kind of in this season of transition, we're all in a season of eventual transition of what does it look like to go back in sort of post-COVID-19 reality, right? So Bob's going to talk a little bit about that. And even before I got a chance to meet Bob here in this annual conference, when I was serving in a church back on the East Coast, I met him through video because I downloaded his resource, Your Best Move. And I used it when I was transitioning from lo- one local church to another. And again, he he's not paying me for this. Although, Bob, if you want to, I will take that check. But his resource is really, really good. And I used it in my local church. And I know maybe you, you've used it before, familiar with it but I really encourage you to check that out. We'll link you to all that stuff where you can get it, and Bob can speak more to that. But we want to talk about transition. Bob's going to share with us some best practices about that, as well as answer some of our questions. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome, Bob. Start us off. How are you doing, friend? And let's talk transitions.
1: We're doing very well. And um, and I, I've been thinking about all of you who are making transitions during this time. Normally transition is enough of a task to manage, but trying to transition when it's hard to say goodbye in person and hard to connect in person with a new congregation um, is is certainly a new thing that that most of us have not had to deal with. So that's an extra challenge. I think it requires a little bit of extra care as you think about uh, making a transition plan. And I think that's really the best part of this, Michael, is thinking about this as a transition plan. And the book that I wrote came out of uh, an opportunity that I had to transition back in 2010 when I came here to Tri-Lakes and I was in the midst of my doctoral work. And, um, and I started to look for resources out there and there were a lot of different scattered resources out there about transition, some things you should do. Some of it was old advice, like don't do anything for a year, uh, which is basically to, to, to plan to not have a plan at all. Uh, and so there's a lot of things like that that were part of the process. So I started to look at other transition models, particularly those from the business world where transition happens and things have to happen fairly rapidly. And um, and really then did a project where I measured churches that I trained in transition planning and then measured. Other churches that did know transition planning, it kind of compared the two. And those who went into it with a significant transition plan, a way forward, uh, really thrived, particularly in those first several years that started into longer pastorates. Whereas if you don't do any transition planning, you just kind of show up. And the way our system works kind of does that to you. You know, one day the old pastor's there, the next day you're there. And uh, there's not always a lot of thought put into that. So there are a lot of minefields involved in transition, so uh, it's important to, to really have a plan in mind, and not just your own plan, but working with both your, your exiting SPR and your incoming SPR, as well as others, to make a good transition plan as part of this process. So it's an intentional process, really focused on starting well and leaving well. I don't know where you want me to go from here. You want me to just keep talking?
0: <laughs> yeah, keep keep going. And for those of you that aren't familiar with SPR, that stands for staff parish relations or PPR is pastor parish relations. So okay. not everyone may know that, but just to give give that a shout out. So I'm gonna let's share
1: share my screen here so you can see Go for it. Um, some of the stuff that uh that I have uh via um PowerPoint and I can share this PowerPoint with you all too. Can you see that? Okay. All right. So there are 10 real transition tasks that you gotta think about when you're working through this process. The first one is leaving well. We don't often think about that, but, but how we leave is as important as how we enter into a place. So you wanna make sure that you are setting up your successor for success.
0: Sorry, Bob. Sorry to interrupt. It looks like you're on slide 22.
1: I am supposed to be on slide 22.
0: Okay. Okay. Just wanted to double check. I'm
1: starting. I skipped okay, all this stuff. It. This is an old presentation that's a four hour block. Obviously, we're not going to do a four hour block. So I'm starting starting in one place. So I should be on the 10 transition tasks slide. Is that what you're seeing? Okay, great. So um, finishing well is a, is a key task. The second task is really creating a transition team. And This transition team consists not just of those who are responsible for transition by authority. So your staff parish, your your pastor parish relations committee, but also those who are key influencers in your church. Those people in your church whom everyone turns to when they want to know how they should think about something. Everybody knows who those people are in your church. Uh, Develop a learning plan because you're gonna need to research this congregation, learn about them diagnose the situation. And that is not so that you can immediately fix it, but this is about understanding their their symbols, norms, and assumptions. What are the things that go without saying in this church that you don't yet know, but everybody else knows without saying it. And clarifying expectations. What do people expect of their pastor? What does the pastor expect of people? A big one is shooting for early wins. These are opportunities for you to add value quickly to the organization. Um, uh, Harvard Business Review did a lot of work on, on transitions. Michael Watkins did a lot of work on transitions and he kind of threw out the conventional wisdom, which was don't change anything for a year, just observe, just sit back. Whereas actually the first 90 days in a new position is the best opportunity you have to create momentum for something new. Now. The the key is that you're choosing where you're going to do that strategically. That it's not about going in and changing everything or assume that you have diagnosed everything or assume that what you did in your last church is going to work just as well in the new one. Or saying, this is the way that I always do things, so this is how we're going to do it. Early wins are strategic, negotiated opportunities for you to add value in places where the where the organization believes they need more value added. And I'll talk about that more later. Communicate, and especially in this time when we're not able to do it face-to-face, it's really an opportunity for over-communication in the midst of this, building your leadership team, understanding the emotional system and maintaining your own balance in the midst of this. Whether you're a lay leader or whether you are a pastor, Maintaining your balance between getting families settled and getting your professional life settled is a key part of this. Now, we only have an hour, so we're not gonna go through all 10 of these things. Um, I wouldn't be able to do them justice. If you like though, Michael, I will, I will provide the entire slide show for everybody if they want to, they want to have it. Um, and then they can certainly contact me later with questions if they have them. All of this is covered in the book in a shorter form and also in the video seminar which you can download which will give you access to that at the end you can you can find that out but i just want to hit some highlights um particularly as we're thinking about covid-19 and how you're going to do this in a time where you may not be able to have those large gatherings that are sort of typical usually when we leave a church and if you've if you've made a transition as a pastor you know there's usually i mean we're methodists so uh whenever you have two Methodists together, you have three opinions and a potluck. So you you are going to usually have this big organizational kind of send-off. You may not get that during this time. Now, we get into June. Uh, We had a meeting with the governor yesterday, faith leaders, talking about the fact that some restrictions may be let loose in June, but it's probably not going to be a huge thing. So you're going to have to think about how you leave well in the midst of that um, I want to focus on that. I want to focus on um, developing your learning uh, and then shooting for early wins. Those are three big things I want to talk about as you as you as you go through this process so let 's talk about finishing well. Um, I think this is one of the one of the key processes that you want to um, consider as you go through this and um, uh, one there is a there is a sense of grief with this. Um, Roy Oswald who's written some stuff for Alban Institute says that in a death-denying culture, clergy need to look at their own death-denying tendencies as we seek to gain closure on ministry in a parish. It's very difficult, if not impossible, to emerge at the other side of a death-denying termination as a whole person. So you've gotta pay pay attention to your own grief and especially the grief in the midst of this pandemic. People are already feeling stressed, they're already feeling overwhelmed. Uh, You may be feeling the same way, how do I move uh, in the midst of this, uh, changing homes. Uh, if you're a, a, a member of a local church, your new pastor and your outgoing pastor are both feeling that stress, whether it's a parsonage or whether it's a home that they're moving into. So you need to pay attention to those places of grief and be able to put those into, into um, uh, an order that you can begin to deal with them. And one of the ways you do this is kind of the way that you think about preparing for death. I don't know about some of you, but I've gotten more calls in the last few weeks, uh, given this crisis, that people are starting to think about their wills and their estates and all those kinds of things. I think the same is true for clergy in transition. Formulating a plan of action. What's going to happen in what sequence? What are the dates? What are the deadlines that I need to hit? Preparing documents. What are all the documents that I need to have in place for... The incoming pastor, as i 'm preparing to leave, i'm thinking about meeting notes and uh, you know all the things where where are all of these things that that will need to be collected and maybe put those in a binder so that the new pastor can be able to grab onto that and look at it, letting go of old grudges if you 've been in a church for any amount of time, you know that there's a lot of there's a lot of anxiety sometimes it's built up. This is a great opportunity to to not walk away, to not let the sun go down on your anger or not let the moving van go away in your anger, but rather to do your best to connect with people, uh, to heal old wounds, to make apologies where necessary. and, uh, And the opposite of that, of course, then is saying thank you, saying thank you to those who have been part of your ministry. And then naming the reasons for leaving. These are all really important parts of this process. Um, in our system, it's really easy to simply say, "Well, the conference is moving me. That's it." But it's not as though you don't have some choice in the matter. Usually, you are expressing a need for a move, or the SPRs express that need. It's important to be honest about that and and look at that. So, um, it's a it's a time for storytelling and listening uh, to 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 usually give an opportunity to tell some stories about how life has been together, especially if you've been there for a long time, uh, but also to, um, to listen to other people, especially to those who may not be able to express their feelings well. And there are a number of ways that you can do this. One of the ways you can do this is by starting with a really good farewell letter. To articulate the reasons that you're leaving, um, even if that reason is, you know, it's, it's time in the season, the life of the church, or explaining the appointment process, most of, our, most of our laity don't really know much about the annual conference until it comes time for a clergy transition. That's when things become really real to them. So it's important to explain the process, to not blame the conference or the will of God. God told me I had to move. Um, again, you have some choice in the matter as you think about that. Stating what has ended. This is the way that you begin to help people process the end of a pastoral uh, pastoral. Time together. Um, to say very clearly, I'm not going to be available for funerals. I'm not going to be available for weddings. I am not going to hear your complaints about the new pastor. Um, you can phrase that differently. There's an example of a good farewell letter in the book, um, but but to state what is ending, you are no longer their pastor. I'll always be your friend. This is something I always say. I'll always be your friend, but I will no longer be your pastor. So there's got to be a clear line of delineation. And in our conference materials, somewhere on the website, um, it's buried in the midst of all that. There's also a copy of this in the book too, but there's a covenant that uh, we put together that is an opportunity for, it's kind of a checklist to say, as a pastor leaving, here are the things that I commit not to do. Um, And and to have both the incoming and the outgoing pastor sign that is really important for maintaining boundaries. This is especially important in places where a pastor is retiring and you are moving into a new situation. The pastor is retiring, but staying in the community. Even though that person is gone, they're supposed to be gone for a year away from the local church, but people will automatically defer to them. And it's important for those retired pastors to be able to say, I need to step out of the way so the new pastor can get in there. A covenant makes all of that clear. Clearly say that you're not going to be able to do weddings, funerals, you're not going to be called back for those kinds of things. That's for the new pastor to do and put into words what is being left behind, to be able to say, you know, we are we are leaving behind this pastoral relationship, but I'm excited about what's happening for your future and so forth. Um, getting things in order. Um, the conference does have a transition checklist. I would, I want to encourage pastors to do this personally. Don't delegate it to others. A good exit interview with the SPR is also helpful. Um, and this is an opportunity for you to kind of talk about uh, what, what you've experienced, how it's been great, what places you have struggled, um, places where there may still be points of tension. Talk about those and then provide written guidance for the interim period. Um, now, SPR, in terms of managing a farewell, this is where the challenge comes in during this time. Um, If you can't do that in person, what's that going to look like? A few suggestions I would make. One is to put together a letter writing campaign. Encourage people in the congregation, and I'm not suggesting an email campaign. Some people will want to do that. If that's all they want to do, that's fine. But I want to get people out to get good old pen to paper and to express their appreciation for pastoral ministry that's taken place. Because I don't know about you, but when I get those kind of notes, I put them in a file and I hold on to them. So when the day gets dark, there's an opportunity to pull those out and to remind yourself that there are people in the world who don't think you're a complete moron. You know, I think that's really important for us to to grab onto. So encourage people to do a letter writing campaign. Uh, in the midst of that, um, pay special attention to those who feel the most sense of loss, uh, those who are going to be in a bereaved situation, those who are especially close to the pastor or the family. Um, you know make sure you're listening to those folks and uh, and create space for them to be able to talk about their grief. Don't try to fix it, don't simply say everything's going to be okay, but rather give them an opportunity to express their grief. Communicate constantly about the next steps. Here's what's gonna happen. Here's who's coming. Here's how the process works. If you haven't done an introduction yet, um, consider an intentional interim period between pastors. This is always a good thing. Uh, An opportunity for you to maybe bring in a retired pastor to preach for a couple of weeks or have a couple of lay Sundays kind of as a buffer in between times. It's a great opportunity to be able to do that. And then, Uh, preparing your uh, successor um, transition packet, putting that stuff together, have a handoff meeting, Uh, consider if possible a passing of the mantle ceremony. If you can't do that in person in worship, this is a great opportunity because we're connected electronically for the incoming and the outgoing pastor to maybe have a joint Zoom call or something on your Facebook Live where one can begin to bless the other. There is an order for this in our book of worship. So I encourage you to look at that and perhaps use that as an opportunity so your congregation can see the passing of the mantle and the outgoing pastor blessing the incoming pastor. Um, Another thing that I would suggest, particularly in this time of of COVID-19, when you don't know who everybody is, this is a great time for you in these last couple of months before the transition. If you're a church that is uh, preparing for a new pastor, to think about doing a new photo directory. And I'm not talking about life touch or something like that. That's a whole nother matter. This can be very simple. And that is simply have people in the congregation send you pictures of themselves with a brief description of them and their family that you can put together in a book and give that to the new pastor so that they can be able to see faces, even though they may only see these faces on screens for a while, at least they can begin to formulate who people are so that when you're able to get back together you will be able to they will be able to call people by name that is a huge thing if you want to begin to build relationships quickly knowing someone's name because everybody's going to know the pastor's name and his picture and his family's picture but if that pastor can know those people and begin to call them by name that's going to be a huge early win for them as you begin this process um so i want to stop there quickly to see if there are any questions about uh leaving well in the midst of this
2: bob i have a question about um time frame for this because of
1: COVID 19 um i i know the covenant is intentional for the benefit of the new pastor right um, and my thought as a new pastor in this situation is that i when we're able to, I want that previous pastor to have a sense of goodbye and being able to have that experience. So uh, what guidelines do you have for thinking in those terms and in this idea? Yeah, that's a great question, Emily, I appreciate that. I, I think there is, this does change things a little bit. I mean, normally we would say it's a it's a very strict kind of cutoff line, uh, but you raise a good point. For example, if, if families are having uh, loved ones die in the next two months. And they're not going to be able to do the kind of funeral that, um, that you would normally do, right? You would have the whole community gathered, particularly if it's someone who's who's well-beloved in the congregation, who has a lot of folks who are connected to them. In that particular case, I think it's a negotiation uh, with, the, with the incoming and outgoing pastor. And this is, could be part of your handoff meeting to say, you know, these people are going to be in a significant place. Um, and I will tell you as someone, as an incoming pastor, in that particular case, I would value having that that previous pastor come and do that, if at all possible, because they know the family much better. That's an early win for you to be able to do that. Normally that would not be the case because again, that's an that's a incredible opportunity for the new pastor to, to launch well, right? But in this particular case, I think it's part of the negotiation you want to do with that incoming and outgoing pastor saying these people are in a really sensitive place right now. Maybe we can negotiate how we how we do that. Uh, But as long as it's negotiated and not assumed that that's going to be the case. I think that's what's really important. Yeah, thanks. That's helpful.
0: Good. Right. And I know uh, to reach out to your district superintendent. I know that the cabinet has been working on this. Um, and trying to prepare some resources for clergy that are in transition. So uh, I'm not sure when they're going to release that. I know we've been working on it, but uh, reach out to your district superintendent and uh, we'll make sure that we can get whatever resources we can into the hands of those transitioning.
1: Yeah, we, Rob, t- we, we typically haven't done very well at that. You know, we, we've done well. The DS is usually the in-between person. Usually the incoming and outgoing pastor don't have a lot of conversation. I think that's a mistake. I think that handoff meeting is a huge opportunity. And even now that joint kind of passing of the mantle is a huge opportunity to to be able to do that well. And so people see it and they recognize, okay, they are not starting from zero. They've actually had that conversation.
0: Right. And Dawn put in the chat box um, about a Christmas letter that was one of the uh, resources that she's used to learn about, um, you know, the congregation. Can you, Bob, rattle off a couple other documents that you think might be good um, to just, ha- you know, how do we get to know? Um, what what might be good to prepare? Uh, can you give us like two or three things? Just I know there's resources in your book and stuff, but yeah. what are some things that you can rattle off of? How how do we get to know who these folks are? Photo directory, you, you named, Dawn mentioned like a Christmas letter. What are some other things?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I suggest is for people who wanna to get to know the incoming pastor, same kind of thing. You might just write write them a note welcoming them. One of the great things that they did here when I came to Tri-Lakes, which was amazing, a great way to start, um, they put together a, they put a Christmas tree in July in the middle of the, of the narthex and people brought in gift cards and cards to local restaurants, to local Home Depot, you know, all those kinds of things. And they kind of gave us a gift card shower as we started, which was huge, uh, hugely helpful. And it helped us get to know people because they put notes in with their cards. This is our favorite place. We love this. You know, we go there with our two kids. Um, Now, you may not be able to jump to that restaurant right now, but something to think about in the future. Um, Helping the congregation get to know you too is a big part of this. And some of you blog... Um, most of the time, blogs are kind of nebulous. People don't always read them very much, but this is an opportunity for you to think about, maybe if the if the current pastor allows for it, and again, that's something you can negotiate, to begin to do a series of blog posts that says, let me introduce you to my family. Uh, let me introduce you to the people who are important to me. Let me introduce you to, you, to what I like. Well, I did that when I came here, and one of the things I discovered was I mean, I'm I'm from the Pittsburgh area. That's where I grew up, and so you know, when I I said I'm a Steeler fan, all the Steeler fans had Steeler stuff in my office ready for me when I when I got here. Um, the Browns and and Ravens and Bengals fans not so much, but but they did have they did have all that stuff. They we made connections early on, and that's the kind of thing you want to do is sort of make connections. So that that goes both ways, but that photo directory will be helpful. Um, Here's another opportunity during this time, and that is if you have the capability to invite people in your congregation to use their phones to shoot a one minute video introducing their family. Take all of those, have them emailed to a central spot, real simple to do um, with iMovie, edit those all together into a video so that the pastor, the new pastor can sit down and watch that and say, wow, okay, now I see these people, I hear them talking, they're describing their family, uh, they're describing what they're excited about. Maybe you put a couple questions to each family, but you string that together to make a, a video that can be published. It's also great for the congregation to see because they don't always know each other as well if they're a large congregation. It also could be a marvelous gift for the outgoing pastor to have that as a, as a reminder of these people that you've left behind. So use the technology, use it creatively as you think about this, this goodbye and hello to introduce yourselves in a way that, that may be actually sticking a little bit longer than that. Because you know what it's like if you go into that first uh, big gathering on Sunday morning, everybody's introducing themselves to you, telling you about their family. It, it, most things go over my head on Sunday morning anyway. That is like way overwhelming. But if I have that video, now I've got some time to kind of sit back and say, and of directory, uh, to sit back and say, wow, okay, now I know something about these people. When I see them, I can make that connection.
0: I'm fascinated too about, you know, we're in the world of Google now. So um, you've been Googled. Oh yeah. You know people are facebook stalking you so be mindful of you know the first impressions uh you know a couple years ago when i was making a transition into a local church i wrote a blog that two people read you know back in 1999 you know and and it came up when they you know when i showed up to the church one person said oh i read that blog and and it was a blog where i think i ranted about something silly you know and i was like oh i really got to share my opinion about this you know, cause everybody wants to know it. And they're like, Oh, I read that. And I'm like, Oh, that's not the impression I wanted to give. <laughs> They'll be mindful of that. Right. Some well, we live in a that, Google world,
1: <laughs> your social media stuff, you know, what you, what you post, um, all of that is a revelatory. So you got to think about what you're posting. Um, and now where, which, where people couldn't do this before, the first thing that people wonder when the new pastor comes on board, because they don't even know this in the introduction is how does the new pastor preach? So now, as soon as they know who's coming, if you're posting your sermons online, guess what? You now have an audience. Everybody's watching your, your preaching. So this is again, is a great time as pastors to think about, okay, my, my outgoing congregation knows I'm leaving. Uh, The new congregation is watching from afar to see what my sermons are going to be like. This is a great opportunity for vision casting to help your congregation uh, transition well as you begin to leave, but also to kind of paint vision for what you're about for the new congregation. So start thinking in those terms. Everybody's looking at you. You are becoming more of a known quantity probably now than ever before. But I've been doing this for a long time, for 30 years and, and I remember going into congregations so they're like, we don't know anything about this guy at all. And I don't know anything about them. That is not the case anymore. Uh, you, you can know everything or not everything, but you can know quite a lot just through a few videos. So use that wisely, cultivate that time in the midst of transition.
0: Bob, question coming in from Laura. Um, what are the differences, if any, of, of moving uh, if you're coming into an associate pastor role? How can we do some transition for if you're an associate or if you're coming on as a member of staff?
1: So as a member of staff, one of the things you want to try to do is is really interact with the senior pastor uh, significantly to talk about a lot of these things. That's a key transition point. There's a lot of negotiation going on there, uh, particularly around expectations. What do they really expect from you? And what are your expectations as you go into this situation? Um, that's a really important part of this process. But then I think as an associate, you're probably going to have specific areas where you're going to be assigned, whether it's youth ministry or administration or whatever that might be. Um, This is an opportunity for you to connect especially with those people in those particular, particular ministry areas to begin to get an idea of what they're about. You're not as focused on on the, on the entire congregation, although that is part of it, but, but you've got a much more narrow focus, particularly on those ministry areas that you want to start well in out of the gate. So the key relationship though, is with the senior pastor, how, how are, how do things work? What pick their brain, interview them, ask the questions um, and uh, begin to sort of solidify what the vision is. How often are you going to preach? How often Uh, Do they, how do you do this? How do you do things here? Uh, That's, those are key conversations as you, as you begin this process. So, so as an associate, your window is a little bit narrower than, um, than a pastor going into a church as, as a solo or a lead, uh, but it's, but it's equally important. Great. Keep going, Bob. Okay. So let's go on to, um, Let's go on to uh, developing uh, a transition team. Um, This is a group of laity in the local church who will help you gauge the the pulse of the organization, facilitate communication, uh, to provide a focus group for reviewing plans and potential changes, uh, early wins. They also have ready access to the grapevine. So a, a transition team, consists of, you could put it together in a lot of different ways, SPR Plus, um, or some key people that SPR might recommend. These are great people to bounce things off of. So as you you begin your ministry at the church, um, you're probably gonna have a lot of time, at least initially, to rattle around in the building all by yourself. And as you do so, uh, you're gonna notice some things. Notice what the symbols, norms, and assumptions are of the congregation. How do they how do they kind of refer to themselves? What what visually is most important? I mean, look at the worship space. What visually is most important? What are the things that, if you change them, it would be like uh, setting off a claymore mine, right? You want to start to determine what those things are, and a transition team will help you determine whether you're you're right on those things. So just observing what's going on. Um, So for example, let me give you an example of how the transition team can be helpful. I spent a few weeks when I first came to Tri-Lakes sort of observing what was going on and uh, noticing some things that that were a little bit troubling, but people kind of did. So one of the things I noticed was that during the prayer time, we did three services. So during the prayer time, people would stand up, it was kind of like an open mic, stand up and do your, your prayer request kind of thing. Well, it was usually the same four people and they would give a 10 minute treatise on Aunt Millie's gallbladder problems. You know, that, that was part of the process. And, and you could watch people's eyes kind of roll in the back of their head, like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And so I said to the transition team, I'd really love to see us change that I know it's important for those four people and I'll talk to those four people, but we can do that in a better way that allows more people to to share their prayer concerns and we can pray over more of them together. So we institute a system with cards and all that kind of stuff. They said, wow, that is a great idea. You're really brave for wanting to do that. We will back you up 100% on that. I said, well, there's another thing too that I've noticed. And that is that at the end of the service, when they sing the benediction response, everybody holds hands. Uh, I noticed this on the first Sunday because they did it without telling me. And so when I went to go out the back at the end of the service, it was like a liturgical game of Red Rover. You know, everybody's hands were clasped across the aisle and I couldn't get through. And and I noticed some visitors who were really kind of standoffish. And I said, you know, we might wanna rethink that because it is kind of difficult for outsiders to feel that intimacy. But they said to me, I said this to the transition team, "Can we change that? And they said, well, we've been doing that since the church was founded. So we suggest not changing that. Ten years later, they're still doing that, although post-COVID, who knows? We'll see how it goes. Uh, but um never been a big fan, but it's one of those things that's like, okay, that's a place where I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna touch that. The transition team, though, was hugely helpful in me not making a mistake and doing something dumb, you know, making a dumb decision or making a wrong assumption. Part of this process too. Is is doing some research on the congregation through small groups. There's a lot about that in the book, um, about what kinds of questions to ask using appreciative inquiry. Um, there's a, a lot in there about uh, sort of determining what people's hopes and dreams are in small groups. You may not be able to do those small groups in person, but this is a great opportunity for you to use the electronic media to do that. Don't do the whole congregation at once unless they're a congregation of 12 people, uh, but try to keep it to about 12 people, ask the same questions of every group, and take all of that research, collate it, and then take that to the transition team and say, here are the things I'm learning about this congregation. Does that seem accurate to you? They can tell you one way or the other, whether you're on the right track of understanding how things work. So that team is really important. Uh, I, would, I would start to get your SPR that, uh, whether you're outgoing or incoming, to start developing that transition team and to think about the kind of things that they're gonna wanna do together um, as, you, as you negotiate this, this process. One of the other key things that a transition team can do is to help you determine what early wins are out there. Uh, and that's a big part of the transition process. Where can you add value right away? So these are things that are low-hanging fruit, things that you can do right away that can add value and begin to for, for people to say, "Wow, this new pastor is really, uh, really gets us and understands what what the issues have been that we may have had from the very beginning." Again, you can't really figure this out too much on your own, but you need that transition team to back you up. So another example, when I came to Tri Lakes. Uh, The sanctuary was originally made as the fellowship hall. So there are a lot of reflective surfaces, sound bounced around all over the place. And a lot of our older people would come out of worship and say, "Um, I'm sure that was a great sermon. Probably wasn't, but, but they said that to be polite. And then, but they said, but we didn't hear half of it because there's too much echo. So I did a little research, called a friend of mine who's an acoustic engineer and said, come down and take a look. What would it take to dampen the sound in here? He said, well, if we got acoustic panels, we put them up here. And if we put in an FM, uh, you know, hearing assist unit in, that would solve the problem. So I went to the, uh, the board and I said, um, I went to my transition team and I said, the sound issue is an issue. I'd like to approach that. They said, oh, that would be awesome. If you can find a way to do that and have it not cost anything, that would be great. I said, well, that's gonna be a challenge, but let's see. So I, 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 went to, I went through the church budget and you know, sometimes there are always those funds that are sitting there that were left as a memorial or something, but you haven't used them. Um, and I went to the family that donated one of those funds and I said, I'd like to take this and repurpose it to put these acoustic panels in and this FM thing. They said, great idea. So we put that in within the first month and I had people in tears coming out afterwards saying, I heard everything for the first time, major win, major win. Um, and that tells people that you're you're beginning to learn the process, but transition team helped me identify what that particular win would be. Um, uh, there are a lot of different ways you can configure that, whether it's seeing a bump in attendance or doing something innovative that they're okay with. Like maybe you want to do an outdoor service, or maybe you've got an innovative idea, particularly in this time of COVID-19 where it says, I I want to do something different with video. Um, Are you guys, what do you think about that? Um, Let them help to guide you in those places where, what are the three big things? And that's usually not more than three. What are three big things? What are three big places where I could add value right now to the life of this congregation. Longstanding things that need to be changed. In one church that I served, it was firing someone who everybody else was afraid to fire. That was fun, uh, tons of fun, but it needed to happen. And I realized it needed to happen within the first two weeks. So when we did that, everybody went, boy, this pastor is willing to do what we even weren't willing to do. Um, but that was a negotiated thing. Okay, if we do that, Are you gonna back me up when his constituencies really, uh, you know, rise up? They didn't because they realized it needed to happen too. So there are all kinds of different ways you can determine what early wins are, but let your transition team help you do that. So I'll stop there because I'm sure there's questions about early wins and things like that.
0: Anyone want to voice some of your questions?
1: Yeah, someone asked the question. I, I now found the chats here. So mm-hmm. um, someone asked the American flag on the dais. I think that's going to be a hot button in some churches. Yeah, biggest fight I ever had in a church was about whether the flag should be up front or not. Um, of course, we have people who would drape it over the altar table if they wanted to and uh and i I got away with some of that because I'm a veteran uh an army veteran, so I could talk about this in a way that that was um that was a little more helpful, but uh it's a you know it's a it's certainly a hot button issue but again, here the thing: don't be careful about what hills you're prepared to die on, especially early. That's not a big deal right away. you're looking at big things that that add value, not that add controversy. So look for things that add value, not controversy. I hope I made that clear.
0: Yeah, I've always tried to encourage, you know, when I talk with people, sometimes when they want to talk, I use the language of story, right? So engaging in the story of, you know, whether global or denominational or some of these larger things, I've always tried to engage people in, you know, what is the story that we're a part of right now that we're telling together? What's your story to to help navigate some of those hot button topics or issues, Uh, not trying to ignore them, but to say our, you know, value is going to be, you know, I'm trying to learn your story too, and you're trying to learn mine, and then we'll figure out our story and how it connects into a lot of these larger things. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's good advice. Um, you want to be able to listen more than you speak. Um, and, and so that, again, I think that first series of sermons is really important as to how you set the agenda, um, uh, how you set vision, and, and try to think of things that are, that are commonly held. Uh, you might be a, an activist on a particular issue. The first three months is not the place to start hammering that, hammering that home. Um, you might be super conservative on something. That is not the place to be hammering that home. You're not pandering to one section of the congregation. You're trying to find those points of commonality. And I love that image of common story, Michael. I think that's really helpful. Um, what What is our story together? And of course, the, the best place we find that story is in the story of God, you know, the story of the scriptures. So uh, preach the scriptures um, and uh, preach, preach your heart from that. Uh, but but be mindful that you're preaching to everyone and you don't, know, you don't know who the crazy people are yet. Can I say that? Um, you don't know who's gonna be set off by that particular thing. Um, be, be bold, be confident, but be careful um, and make sure you're telling a common story that everybody can kind of ra- rally around as you begin.
0: Yeah. And, and I didn't wanna forget, Nancy asked a question a little bit of on transition about hitting the ground running if you're bringing in an associate or something like that. Um, you know, are you going to talk about some early wins? How does that relate to, how do we set, uh, if we're receiving someone uh, mm-hmm. like an associate pastor, how would we set them up for success? Thanks for sharing that, Nancy.
1: Yeah, I would, I would look at those areas um, that you find where there is uh, there's deficiency or tension and, and negotiate with that associate pastor and say, here are the places where we find issues right now that can be addressed. Um, you know, if it's, if it's a, a youth ministry, for example, that is um, struggling, or, or there's a particular administrative area that's in their portfolio that's struggling, um, let them know about that. Just don't expect them to find it. Clarifying expectations, especially for associates is really important because there's often a lot of unwritten expectation around that. And even the senior pastor might have unwritten expectations about what the associate's supposed to do. So the more that you clarify that job description and where the points of tension and points of, of opportunity are is really, really important. Uh, so, so really helping them to get springboarded on where the issues are as you see them. They might see them differently, but again, that's an opportunity for you to kind of work together. And I, I suggest an associate pastor also develop a transition team, but of those folks who work in their particular ministry area.
0: Yeah, I think that transition team is so important, uh, particularly on that area of communication. Um, Emily from uh, Lafayette talks about how do we avoid the traps, right? Places that people may be going a direction and you go with them, not knowing the ways that may affect people in the congregation. I've I've been told, um, you know, hey, whenever you go to a new church, be mindful of the people that come into your office you know, uh, the first two days.
1: Yes, beware <laughs> of Greeks bearing casseroles. That's the, uh, that's the approach, right? Um, those so, people,
0: yeah, yeah. No, go, I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob, keep going. No,
1: I, I, yeah, that is, you have, to, you have to definitely be aware of those folks who come in with an agenda. Um, you want to be able to listen to them, but say, I'm, here's, here's the standard phrase, I'm learning a lot and I'm going to be taking the time to learn. Thanks for your input period. Uh, The less you say, the better, but always think twice about the person who's standing at the door when you arrive. Chances are those people will not be there within the first three months after you've been there. Usually they leave um, because you haven't met their expectations. Worst thing you can do is listen to everything that comes to you and, and respond to it. This is where the transition team is exceptionally helpful. Listen to their advice, not the advice of those who stand at the door. Let this group of people who represent a broader swath of the congregation tell you what's really happening, except because every person who comes into your office believes that their ministry area or their issue is the issue in the congregation that you need to drive on. That is not usually the case. So the transition team, if those people are chosen well, and they have a good sense of the whole congregation, they will steer you the right way. Beware of those Greeks bearing casseroles, for sure.
0: So how do we start conversations, right, without coming across as critical, generating resistance, even with the transition team? Karen asked that in the chat box. you know, looking at a new appointment and you start to see some things right away. Uh-huh. You know, the, the last Facebook post was of, you know, last Christmas, you know, uh, it does, you know, you start to see with fresh eyes some, some, some things that might be standing out to you about, you know, oh, oh my goodness, but you don't want to come across. So, so that's the question is, how do you start that conversation without coming across or generating resistance, even with the transition team?
1: Well, I think this is where um, getting people on board with process is really helpful. So if you're able to say, we wanna do a transition process, here's the transition team, Um, here's what the transition team is for. Now we've got an agenda for that meeting to say, all right, what we're gonna talk about is ideas, particularly for early wins. Now, they may not have thought of that, but if you come in and say, here's some things I notice, what if we did this? Not I'm gonna do this, but what if we What if we did this? What What would your response be to that? So in this particular case, as I look at this, they don't They don't live stream worship. Website's not current. Um, Facebook uh, is generic. Um, say you know something I really I'm, I'm I'm noticing is that we have an opportunity. Not your, not your website is terrible, your Facebook page sucks, you know, and you don't live stream so you're missing everyone. No, no. What you wanna say is, hey, I have some expertise in this area and I'm willing to put in the effort to make this happen. It's no cost to you. It's, no, it's a zero cost, low hanging fruit kind of thing. Is it okay if I, if I do that? Will you guys back me up if I do that? That's a really easy way to, to do that. Karen, those are low hanging fruit right there that my guess is most people are going to go, "Okay, sure, whatever. We just never thought of it, or we don't have someone who's who's able to do that you can You can figure out how to do that, and that immediately adds value and Here's another way to frame it to say what I really want to do, particularly in this time, is reach out to those who may not be able to be here in person, particularly those who are most vulnerable, so that they can get to know me. Um, in these early stages. People will go, you want to use this to get to know the congregation? You want to enhance our fellowship? Boom, I'm on board. My guess is they'll be all for it. So um, do it in a question way, not in a here's what I'm going to do way. Um, Believe it or not, in every congregation that you will go to, pastors, something good is happening. (laughs) Something good was happening before you got there. I know sometimes you have to look hard, but something good was happening before you got there. And those are the kind of things you want to reinforce while also gently suggesting, here's some ways that we can build on that rather than simply everything's terrible. We're going to start from zero and start over again. Because too many of these churches have seen that happen over and over again. New pastor comes in, everything changes, they do whatever they're going to do and people feel like it's foisted upon them. With a transition team, now they have a say in what that looks like, and make them believe that it's their idea because largely it is their idea. They're much more likely to go along when they believe that.
0: I just wanted to, Bob, give you a heads up about seven more minutes. So if there's okay. any other content you wanted to share with us, we want to get to that as well yeah. as maybe have time for a few more questions at the end.
1: We've talked about um, we've talked about the main things I wanted to talk about leaving well. Um, starting well, transition team and early wins, those are two really big things. Uh, I think if you don't do anything out of what we've talked about, those three things are the, are the key. Leaving well with a plan, helping your congregation be ready for, the, for your successor, blessing your successor, developing a transition team, and looking for those early wins. Those are really three super critical tasks as, we, as, as, you, as you do transition. And, and think of the creative ways you need to do that now with, with all of that, all of this going on, the way that you have to do it electronically. Um, you know, Use the technology, don't see it as a hindrance. Um, it is in some d- degree, but use the opportunity that you have that you would not normally have, uh, even as you begin to think about transition. Um, yeah, so uh, Nancy Boswell, hi, Nancy. Um, if a pastor is coming into an after-pastor situation, being part of the after-pastor support groups are essential. Uh, the DS will invite you to one of these groups. That's a great point. I'm glad Nancy brought that up. There is a an after-pastor group um, that is uh, managed by someone who has uh, expertise in this area. And here's my advice to you. And when we talk about an after-pastor situation, we're talking about a situation in which previous pastor has been removed or there was some kind of misconduct, or it happened under under poor circumstances. Um, sexual misconduct usually is a large part of this, something like that. To everything I've said, I give a caveat, and that is you're gonna have to go slower because you're gonna have to spend extra time building trust. And so your early wins are gonna be smaller, and they may be more in the area of pastoral care Simp- and in some cases, simply showing up and doing your job is, is a good way, is a good strategy. Um, but you're gonna have to go a little bit slower. And indeed, I think all of this is gonna go a little bit slower simply because we're limited by, by the fact that we can't meet together. So just keep that in mind as you go through this. 90 days is kind of the standard for getting this rolling. You might wanna extend it to the first six months or so, so that you've got more transition time uh, given, given this crisis. And if you're in an after-pastor situation, uh, consider going even more slowly. But get involved with that group. It's very helpful. I was involved with it for a brief time. Um, it's important to name those things and know what you're dealing with. Um, yeah. Anything else? Any other questions in the last couple minutes? Well, then let me do a quick commercial.
0: All right, go for it. Yeah, I was going to say, what's
1: your best move? Um, it is available on Amazon, uh, but Seedbed, publisher Seedbed, um, seedbed.com, has it available. You can buy it in bulk at a discount. I suggest you get a copy for your incoming and outgoing SPR. Um, each person, it's a short book. You can read it in an hour and a half, if that. very short. I made it specifically that way. Um, Get that in the hands of your staff parish relations committee people. Um, Seedbed also, we recorded a seminar that takes you through the entire process. It's a video seminar. You can can purchase that along. I think it's 10 books and and, uh, the video seminar for like 50 bucks or something like that. And you can walk them through this entire process uh, from start to finish. A lot of the stuff that we didn't talk about um, and it'll help them kind of get their minds around what this transition looks like and, and so forth. So uh, I encourage you to grab onto that. Um, let me know if you have trouble accessing it. I'll, I'll get it to you. Um, but And, and, and I, w- I want to offer myself too, if you have questions in the midst of transition, um, you can email me, BK, at tlumc.org. That's Tri-Lake United Methodist Church, tlumc.org or you can give me a call on my cell, 719-313-6305. Again, 719-313-6305. I'm happy to help you in any way I can as you make your transition.
0: All right, thanks, Bob. Would you be able to just put that in the chat box? I know you said it, but uh, if we didn't get a chance to write it down, Again, thank you so much for the opportunity to have this conversation, uh, to get more resources on this stuff. Um, wanted to just, again, thank you for, Bob, just your wisdom on all of this and uh, just your willingness to not only talk with us here, but to make yourself available um, for f- the resourcing. And friends, I encourage you, you know, buy the book. You know, We wanna put a couple bucks in, in Bob's pocket. You know what I mean?
1: It'll mean I can go to Chili's instead of McDonald's, so I'm excited.
0: Yeah. Right. So it's it's a great book. I've read it. I've used it with my uh, SPRCs before. I know some of you have as well. And again, you know, we want to continue these conversations. Um, so any way that we can continue to support you, particularly in these transition times, uh, I put in the chat box. We're happy to set up you know a monthly Zoom for those that are walking in this sort of COVID-19 world you know, and as much as we can talk today about what we think it will be, things might change by next week. So we're giving each other grace and patience with this and with that transition team, be mindful of, you know, this is, transitions are not always easy, let alone now in this season to to support each other through this time, to set up a good system to work and to communicate with that transition team, to show each other grace in it and, um, you know, and to, and to work, work through it together. So um, before we sign off and, and uh, Pastor Bob, I'm going to ask if you could close this with a word of prayer. I want to toss it over to uh, Tom Barlow real quick. Um, He's just going to give us a quick commercial for what's happening next week with Vital Conversations. And uh, he's on the call, uh, because Tom is transitioning as well. Um, So, so what a great opportunity to get a, glimpse of what Tom's going to be sharing with us next week. So Tom, what's happening next week on Vital Conversations?
2: Thanks, Michael. Uh, Next week, it's going to be Dr. Tom Wolf, who's the president of ILIF and myself talking about um, kind of focusing in on how to make a financial ask during difficult times like this, Um, thinking a little bit about fundraising. Dr. Wolf and I have taught the um, fundraising course at ILIF for the past six years together. We're also gonna talk a little bit about the interesting dynamics that were going on back in the depression in terms of giving to worthy organizations and how that was or wasn't impacted by um, the significant economic downturn that was going on in the Great Depression. So, uh, it should be interesting to kind of mull that over and give you some ideas about how to move forward financially. Okay, great. Thanks, Tom, looking forward to next week. the Tom
0: Barlow, can I borrow 20 bucks? Absolutely, no problem. All right, see, look how, look at that. Look yeah. how easy that was. That
2: was a good ask there, Michael. <laughs> it really
0: wasn't. We're going to get better ways to ask next week. So, um, Pastor Bob, would you give us just a closing word, final thoughts? Uh, thanks for putting your info in the chat box for us yeah, and send us out I with a prayer. I was
1: sending to Tom, who sent me something earlier. So, so now he has. Four, four pieces of my of my information, but now you should all have it, so that's good. Okay, well, God, we do thank you for this time, and uh, thank you for Michael and his leadership in the midst of this, uh, giving us great opportunities to share good information with one another. I pray for all of these pastors and, and churches as they enter into transition, and particularly in a time when we're in a transition as a culture, and we're not sure of the way ahead, but we know that you were already there, And we know that you are drawing us deeper into our relationship with you. And so we pray for all of those who are moving uh, for health, for safety, and for good exits and good entrances as we seek to do our best for you in the ministry of your church and for your kingdom. We thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.
0: You are listening to Vital Conversations as we explore what discipleship can look like in these changing times and into the future. All clergy and lady are invited to join. You can find registration information at mtnskyumc.org. Now let's get into it.